And uh, good morning to those of you who um, I haven't met. My name is Father Aaron. You can also call me Aaron if you're more comfortable with that. I'm the pastor here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. I'm so glad you're here, and uh, you are most welcome. This is a good Sunday to visit. We're going to talk about vision for our church. I do apologize. My voice is a little scratchy, recovering from a cold, and so, uh, you know, kids, it's great. You love them, and anyway, so before we talk about vision, before we open to Matthew 5, I want to take an opportunity to talk a little bit as your pastor about this week's election, okay? Uh, Whether you're elated or devastated at the results, whether you're hopeful or in a state of lament, whether you're anxious or ambivalent, I want to speak to you now. We're in a polarized, this has been a polarizing year, polarizing election cycle, um, where the divisions in our country have, have worsened. And maybe you've even experienced alienation like in your own family, in your, in your own extended network, workplace, your personal life. Um, people are attacking one another right now. People are really at each other's throats right now on social media and in real life. Um, people are attacking strangers. People are attacking with words. Um, people are attacking uh, with bodies. And in some cases, it's because of race. It's because of gender or culture, ethnicity, or maybe place in the country, whether in the city or suburbs or, or, or rural areas. And, you know, people feel afraid right now. And when we're afraid, it's, it's harder to know, actually, what is the way forward. You know, when Jesus began his public ministry in Galilee, he, be, he began to preach the gospel, the good news, that the time is fulfilled. There's a direct quote here from, from Mark. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So repent and believe the gospel. Jesus was was helping his disciples see that the kingdom of God for which they had pined and hoped was available to them right now because of Jesus. He had parted the heavens and it wasn't going back. And they could participate right now, no matter what their circumstances were, in in, uh, God's renewal of all things. And it would change their hearts, and it would change their lives, and ultimately it would change the world, as we'll talk about later. This was good news to the oppressed and the oppressors, to the zealots and the hermits, to the rich and the poor, to the Jew and Gentile, to women and men, to pagans and to the pious. Jesus is king, and through his death and resurrection, he's opened a way into a kingdom of reconciliation of justice, a kingdom of shalom and healing. And the only way into that kingdom is through repentance. It's the only way that you get in. And that repentance, it radically reorients the way you think and behave. Your whole life and outlook is shaped by, renewed by this kingdom and this king, by the loving rule of Jesus. So what would it look like for us to live in the kingdom of God right now, right here in Chicago, right here in Uptown, Well, first of all, what we've seen in history is that the people of God begin with repentance. We begin by confessing our sins. So let us this morning even confess ways that we are guilty of contempt, of racism, of pride, of malice, or anything else that the New Testament lists as things that don't belong in the kingdom of God. Let's begin begin by confessing our sins this morning. Let's confess any ways that we fail to love and stand with our neighbor. 
Second, let's believe the gospel that Jesus is king of a great kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us devote ourselves afresh to his work, both inside and outside the church. When we believe the gospel, we will become people of prayer, my friends, who intercede at all times for all people, be they poor or the president. Let us become even more so a people of prayer. It's not pious escaping from the world that will get us deeply connected to the world. Finally, let us seek out practical and bold ways to stand with the marginalized, to stand with the oppressed, to stand with the refugee and the immigrant, the sexually exploited and the voiceless, many of whom feel very much afraid right now. So let's be a non-anxious, loving presence in their life, shall we? There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Now let's start the sermon. Um, Okay? You know, one of the most frustrating experiences of my life is when I cannot find the dang light switch. Have you ever had that experience where you're like, you're like in a hotel room or, you're in, or someone's house and you're like, you're in the bathroom and it's like, where did you put the light switch? <laughs> like it's embedded in the wallpaper. It's like, why would you do, why do you think about putting a light switch there? Um, and uh, it's so frustrating because I don't know where to find any. I don't know where the things are without the light on. Um, <clears throat> Just the other day, I was going down the stairs in our back stairwell, and the light bulb had gone out, and I'd gone down these stairs, you know, hundreds, thousands of times. But this time, I was like, really? I was like, now, when is the last stair? Because I don't want to be that guy who's like, oh, I didn't count a stair. But it's like, there was no light on, so I didn't know. I've often passed through not trying to, trying to keep children asleep, so keeping the light off, and like passing through, tiptoeing through children areas. And in children areas, there are these things called Legos, that, are, that people use exacto knives to make Legos, to make them real sharp, so that when you step on them with your bare daddy feet, you have pain. <clears throat> when you're helpless in the dark, everything's a guessing game. And without some kind of light, we can be easily confused, isolated, even harassed. And it's not always funny. Imagine being without light in a dark alley when it's your only defense against an assault. Imagine being without light in a prison when it's your only defense against a psychological breakdown. Imagine being without light in a developing country where the nighttime is is the only opportunity you have to learn how to read. It's the only time you can advance your education, get out of poverty. An absence of light can literally be an absence of hope. Now, we have a practical need for physical light. We all do. And just even one slight aberration from the physical light we need reveals how dependent we are on light to actually illumine our entire environment. Along with all creation, including animals and plants, this is a part of our biology and a part of our world. But as human beings, we we have an irrepressible need for spiritual light. Not just physical light. As human beings who ask questions of why and who 
ask big questions about our purpose, the meaning of our life, we need spiritual light to actually illumine those things. I was just talking with uh, Tyler Patty, who grew up in the Czech Republic, and he's returning there with his wife, Lara, and their son, Judah, uh, to be a missionary. And he said that um, the missions organizations he's with, Josiah Venture, began right after the fall of the Soviet Union in the Czech Republic, where for years and years in the Czech Republic, people were told, there is no God. If you have any questions about why you exist or who God is or who you really are, who, what, what your true identity is, forget those questions. Those are silly questions. The only questions you need to ask are, are, are what and how. What and how. What are you supposed to do? How are you supposed to do it? Same questions about the universe, just what and how. That's the only questions you need to ask. Those are the only logical adult questions. Who and why are kind of childish questions. So there is no God. There is no real purpose other than just to fulfill your role in society. And so the spiritual lights were cut in the Soviet Union and the Czech Republic for years. And um, when they were finally um, at least not opposed, people began flooding churches asking questions, who is God? I really want to know who God is and who I am and and does he love me and what's the purpose for my life? What's God's plan for for the universe? And right now that same thing is happening in the Middle East, especially Iran. People are, they want to know where the spiritual light is because we all have an irrepressible need for spiritual light. Now, it's become fashionable in our city to locate the spiritual light that can illumine questions of why do I exist and who am I and who is God inside each individual person. The light needs to come from within you. If it can't come from within you, uh, there's a problem. And so we have a lot, in Chicago, we have a lot of meaningful experiences and meaningful relationships. And you can do meaningful accomplishments. And, and if you can have that, you found the light. You found your purpose. <clears throat> Chicago's neighborhoods are full of spiritual centers that help you find this light. Be they workplaces or, or bars, gyms, brunch places, theaters, festivals, concert halls, yoga studios. I'm not demeaning or condemning those places. I'm suggesting that many of them shine a type of spiritual light uh, helping us find hope and meaning in a, a meaningful experience in a meaningful community. And many of our friends, our, our, our neighbors, our fellow Chicagoans, they really do kind of go from one personal and meaningful experience to the next without ever considering that the local church could be a place that could shine spiritual light into their life to help them answer questions about who they are, who God is, what their purpose is. And they never consider the claims of Christ. In some cases, it's because the local church's light isn't shining bright enough. So is that working? Are people in our city finding spiritual light? Has their need for light been been met? And I don't know. I mean, I have my doubts about that. Um, A lot of people that I know still that are not following Jesus feel like they're still missing out in some way. Like, it's just over the carrots just beyond them. If they worked a little harder, if they tried a little more, if they just got their lucky break. Um, And I I see a lot of envy, quite honestly. A lot of envy of other people's experiences, other people's relationships, other people's accomplishments. You know, your meaning, if it's my meaning versus your meaning, your meaning can outshine mine. 
Um, and, and also the spiritual light that is native to our city seems very uh, variable. And even just observing the mood of our city between the Cubs' victory and the election is a big shift, real big shift. I mean, just observing the mood, the spiritual light is variable. And, on, you know, it's, it goes from one to the other pretty quickly. I think too many in our city feel empty. A lot of people feel empty, depressed, and hopeless. Many feel confused and isolated. This leads to addictive behavior and despair. Or maybe even consider those even in our own neighborhood of Uptown who live at or below the poverty level. They've been frequently left in the dark. And they feel like they're in the shadows of people that society says matters more. We can say all kinds of nice things to people who feel forgotten. But the fact is that they feel forgotten. And in many cases, they are forgotten. So many in our city are in the dark. So where is the light switch? How will people of our city be filled with hope again in the face of despair? Where's the light that will show people how they can be free of racism? How they can be free of greed? How they can be free of corruption? Where is the light that will shine that? Where's the light that will shine on people who do feel invisible, who feel forgotten, a light that will reveal to them who they are and the purpose that God has for their life and who God is and how much he loves them. Think about the children of Chicago. How many of them know that God loves them? Think about even the students of Uplift. How many of them know that God is pursuing them? Think about refugees in Chicago right now who are trying to make a life here and feel afraid right now. Think about your coworkers who are going through a personal crisis. Think about artists that are seeking meaning, in some cases, in darkness and despair. Do they have an authentic source of spiritual light that could give them hope, something to look up to, something that can reveal how much God loves them? something outside themselves, outside of the self. We all want to get outside ourselves. It's actually, in some cases, a burden to have to produce your own spiritual light. So who will relieve that burden for them? How will people know that they're made in God's image and they're so loved by Jesus that he suffered for them and is currently praying for them? Is the light of the great city, the heavenly city, where they could spend their eternities shining bright enough to break into their reality at any time in their week? In many cases, the answer is no. It's not shining bright enough. Consider even the greater Midwest from which takes its cues from Chicago or reacts to Chicago. Um, This is where many of you are from and in some cases will possibly return. Imagine the upper Midwest. Where is the light that will help the upper Midwest see um, that it does not need to drift into hopelessness and selfishness and despair? Light is required for that. Come on in, sister. We're so glad you're here. Amen. Welcome to the family of God.
So friends, we're called as the church, as the people of God, to display the light of Christ right here in Uptown, right here in Chicago, with greater faith, with greater faithfulness. Because our city and its precious sons and daughters are not made to muddle through the darkness. They are made to flourish, my friends, in the light of Jesus Christ, his gospel, his power, his father, his city, his truth, and love. They're all ours. Amen. Amen. I'm so glad to hear that. Well, it's no accident that you're here. It's no accident that you're here. We're, we're so glad that you're here, my friend. Amen. Yes. That's the light. It's Jesus' love that will heal our city. Amen. Amen. Yes. We'll talk about that. Amen. Everybody does. Yes. That's right. Amen. So the Lord has called our church, Emmanuel Anglican Church, to be a spiritual beacon that shines the light of Christ in Uptown and Chicago. We have been entrusted with the true and life-saving spiritual light that brings hope and power and freedom to our city. We aren't the source of that light, but we are a faithful bearer of that light. That's our calling. Jesus has called us as Emmanuel Anglican Church to put him on display, that all would be drawn to him, that all would be changed by him, that all would be renewed by him, that all would be saved by him. So we are looking to his teachings that he gave his disciples to understand that calling better. And I want to look even specifically about how our church is called to uh, carry out our calling to be a spiritual beacon. Uh, Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5 was delivered in a highly political and highly volatile environment. Rome was expanding, was becoming more dominant, and it had swallowed up this little corner of the world in Galilee where Jesus was giving his teaching. The local religious leaders were controlling and exacting and putting a heavy burden on, on the poor and the oppressed and the common man. And tax collectors um, from Rome were greedy and they were corrupt. Some of Jesus' followers wanted to fight the system, but most of his followers were, were what we might call stay-off-the-radar types. Stay-off-the-radar types. Do you know what I'm talking about? Let's stay off the radar of Rome, of Herod, of the tax collectors, of the religious authorities. Let's not be too distinct. Let's not be targeted um, being, for being especially for or especially against anything in particular. That's dangerous, and there's so little margin for error right now. It's hard enough, you know, just to get by, just to provide for my family, just to keep the farm going. It's too hard just to get by. So in a highly controlling, volatile, and even violent environment, Jesus sought to teach his followers who they were who they were. Jesus knew that in just a few short years, these meek, suffering, poor in spirit, imperfect disciples would literally lead a revolution of love that would turn the Roman Empire upside down, would change the world forever. They didn't know that, 
but Jesus knew that, and so he's going to start this morning on identity, who we are, who his disciples are. So we're going to talk about two things. You are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. Read with me in Matthew 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, what does Jesus mean here when he refers to his followers as the salt of the earth? Salt that is embedded on the earth while still retaining its salty quality. In essence, Jesus is referring to saltiness really as Christ-likeness. The qualities of Jesus that made him and his followers so distinct. When we are united with Christ and filled with his spirit, this begins a process where from the inside out, our very character and motivations and way of thinking and imagination is changed. Everything is changed from the inside out. That's what it means to become salty. It means to become Christ-like. Saltiness is holiness. Yet it is also, like Jesus says, of the earth. So it's not in a salt container somewhere. It is salt of the earth. So we are distinct, and we are also involved with people and culture and society. Many of you know, before refrigeration, what was one of the only ways to keep the meat from going bad? What was one of the only ways to keep the fish from going bad? It was salt. Meat and fish naturally go bad. That's just the way, this is the course of things. And they need to be preserved by rubbing salt into the meat. The salt needs to touch things that will naturally decay if it doesn't touch it. We're citizens of heaven, but we're embedded so deep here in Chicago. What would it look like just after a few years uh, after Jesus taught his disciples how to be the salt of the earth? Well, um, there, there was a historian that took note of the Christian's impact on the Roman society. Um, and and it's pres- I'm so glad this was preserved in history. Here's what people thought of Christians um, in the Roman Empire just a few years after Jesus taught these words. For the Christians are distinguished from other men neither by country nor language nor the customs which they observe, They inhabit Greek as well as barbarian cities according as the lot of each of them has determined and following the customs of natives in respect to clothing, food, and the rest of their ordinary conduct. They display to us their wonderful and confessedly striking, meaning different, method of life. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others, yet endure all things as if foreigners. So, okay, they're citizens of heaven, embedded wherever God has placed them. Every foreign land is to them as their native country, and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. They marry, as do all others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and are restored to life. 
They are poor, yet make many rich. They are in lack in all things, and yet abound in all. They are dishonored, and yet in, and they're very dishonored. They're glorified. They are evil spoken of, and yet are justified. They are reviled, and yet bless. They are insulted, and repay the insult with honor. Can you imagine doing that? They do good, yet are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened to life. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners and are persecuted by the Greeks, yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. Can you imagine becoming citizens that are that salty here in Chicago? My prayer as your pastor is that Emmanuel Anglican Church is a place where you and many others can become saltier and at the same time more embedded in Uptown and Chicago. Sharing your table, but not your bed. Living as a citizen of heaven, repaying blessings for curses, making many rich, transcending the laws of our city, not just obeying them, but transcending them. Advocating for the oppressed and the downtrodden, living a life of prayer, immersing yourself in the scriptures, and surrendering yourself and your family to the Holy Spirit. For us to become a church that displays for Chicago a wonderful and confessedly striking method of life. My prayer and my vision for our church um, is that when you come into our church, you go further up and further in in your walk with Christ than you've ever gone before. That you pass through whatever wall you're hitting. That you go even deeper in trust and faith in the Holy Spirit. I want our church to be a place of spiritual maturity and emotional health. And my prayer is that Emmanuel becomes a church where transformed people learn how to become the best citizens of their neighborhood, the best citizens of their workplaces, the best citizens at their schools. In the process, some of you are going to get more embedded in our city. You're going to stay here for the life of Chicago, not because it's convenient, but because you're called here. That's who you are. That's who we are. We're the salt of Uptown. We're the salt of Chicago. And we're even, in some cases, the salt of the Midwest. So own your identity. You are the salt of the earth. Amen. Secondly, Jesus teaches us that we are the light of the world. We are the light of the world, not just the salt of the earth, but the light of the world. Read with me Matthew 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do you light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, earlier in this sermon series, I pointed out a phrase from Revelation 21, 23, which describes the source of light in heaven. It says, its lamp is the lamp. Its lamp is the lamp. The pulsating, powerful, dazzling center of heaven is Jesus Christ, the lamb who was slain. He is the source of light around which angels, archangels, and the church, both visible and invisible, gather to worship. They cannot help but coming into the presence of this light. His light is a healing light for broken people a hopeful light for discouraged hearts, a sustaining light 
for weary souls, a pure light breaking into earth with the power of new creation. When we look upon the Lord, high and lifted up, we see the hope of the world. You and I are not the source of that light, but we are entrusted to carry out that light and become a spiritual beacon which shines that light. This light extends through us as we communicate the truth of the gospel in ways that people understand both in word and in deed and in ways that are sacramental as well. We are to be a beacon of that light. Let's consider the gospel, which helps connect people with the light of Christ. People need to know that God created them. That's part of the gospel. God created them and our world as good. People are made in God's image to worship and serve him. We are all made with a purpose. But we have fallen. We have turned from God and tried to do life apart from him. We've bent in on our desires and pain. We've chosen darkness in many cases instead of light. We are spiritually dying. We're spiritually dead. We're spiritually lost without Christ. And because of that, we perpetuate injustice and pain and in some cases are helpless to change that. Both our souls and our systems have a brokenness that goes deep. But Jesus Christ came to bring redemption. He took off the glory of heaven to become a man. He lived a perfect life and died in our place out of love, out of love. And he was put to death to bring us to the Father's heart and open up to us the kingdom of God. And he was raised to life to bring glory and renewal to all things. Let's not forget that part of the gospel either, that there's glory, new bodies, a new Chicago, new creation, new in every way where all sad things will come untrue. Our greatest hopes cannot match what's coming. One day we will be, and along with our city, scrubbed free of all pain and decay. A wedding feast is in our future. All injustices will be made right. All sadness turned to joy. There's power in that message, my friends. There is power in the gospel to change lives. Lives are changed forever, eternally. No other power exists in our world like that. And we're entrusted with it. It can change lives. It's changing lives in our church, let me tell you, at every level of the spectrum. It changes neighborhoods. It changes systems. It changes cities. There's power in the gospel to abolish strongholds. There's power in the gospel to break unjust structures. There's power in the gospel to heal divisions. When the light of Christ is shining, everything changes for the better. That's why we need the light so much. Amen. We're unashamed to need that light. Whether they know it or not, my friends, and hear me, your friends and neighbors, they may not feel this hunger right now, but there is a deep, eternally strong hunger for the light of Jesus Christ. And it's a God-given desire because it's such a beautiful light. It's such a powerful light. It's such a true light that everything in us, when we see it aright, it resounds in our bones. Yes, this is true. Yes, this is what my heart has desired and longed for. We want to be close to it and warmed by it and healed by it and sustained by it. 
We, the church, the people of God, are carriers of that light. And God has called us to be a spiritual beacon here in Chicago, a city on a hill. Um, so uh, one scholar um, had a chance to interact with some Nicaraguans about Matthew 5. And one Nicaraguan peasant he talked to was named Marcelino. And Marcelino, reflecting on this verse, says this. He says, a lit up city that's on the top of a hill can be seen from far away, as we see in the lights of San Miguelito from a very far away when we're rowing at night on the lake. A city is a great union of people, and as there are lots of houses together, we see a lot of light. And that's the way our community will be. It will be lighted from far away, as if united by love. My friends, that's our calling. When we become who we are, this is the effect we will have in Chicago. We will not blend in seamlessly with our city, but we will become a spiritual beacon for our city, a source of hope, a source of true, good, and beautiful spiritual light. Like it or not, we will get on people's radar as they're rowing down the lake, metaphorically speaking. People in Uptown, people in Chicago, will take notice of our existence as a church, not because we're being obnoxious, but because we shine with the light that people are naturally drawn towards as people made in God's image. So what would it look like for us to own our identity as a spiritual beacon in Chicago? When we shine the light of Christ in the city of Chicago and people are drawn to him, what should we expect to see? Or for one, we should expect to be a place that welcomes and ministers to the spiritual needs of the unchurched. More and more skeptics, more and more unchurched, more and more doubters. We all have our doubts, we all have our skepticism, and you're welcome, no matter how deep your skepticism goes. There'll be more. There'll be more people who have no Christian background, no Christian formation, who need catechesis, who, who need to be taught, who also need to experience our love. We'll be spending more time eating, hanging out with, throwing parties for, and in some cases, worshiping with spiritual seekers and skeptics. Along the way, I believe we'll experience and see and celebrate more conversions and more adult baptisms. I think we'll also become a fountainhead of leaders, artists, preachers, financial support, and positive influence on our city and neighborhood. We'll see church plants flowing from Emmanuel Anglican in Chicago and beyond. Down the road, um, I, I think we will become a spiritual home for more long-term Chicagoans who have a stake in our city and our institutions. Like I said before, some here who you're here for a short time, you think you're leaving, God, I think we'll call some of you to stay. We'll see even more children, even more youth, finding Emmanuel to be a spiritual home where they can grow into their faith rather than out of their faith. And our presence will be felt more strongly in our neighborhood beyond Sunday. We'll be more engaged in the local schools and actively looking for ways to make disciples among uptowners in a way that leads to their flourishing. So what's next for us in this? What steps are we going to take to become a spiritual beacon in Chicago? And leadership has been praying over this for, for, for months, in some cases years. What is our future as a church? And we've discerned three main ways for us to become a spiritual beacon in 2017 and beyond. Number one, we believe we're called to greater visibility. 
greater visibility. Like a city set on a hill, we are called to shine the light of Christ with greater intensity. One practical way for us to do this is to launch a second Sunday worship service in 2017. So not just 10 a.m., but there's gonna be a change up here, I believe. And we'll talk about this. We invite your questions about this. By doing this, we are making space for more unchurched Chicagoans to see the light of Christ. In a highly mobile city, an additional time option opens doors of ministry that right now are closed. We do this not for ourselves. We do this for the people who aren't here yet. Another key way for us to have greater visibility in Chicago, in Uptown, is by leasing an Uptown Ministry Center. Now, this is in addition to the ministry center that we currently lease, but we have an opportunity, a low-cost opportunity, to lease a space from the Wilson Abbey, which is right across the street, where we can continue to make disciples among the unchurched through our community Bible studies, which started this past summer. Um, uh, This will also happen to be a place we, we may be able to have outreach events like the um, event for skeptics that we held at the end of the summer, um, as well as other, other ways that other creative ideas for reaching out and being visible in our neighborhood. Um, we're looking at um, uh, other ways of being visible, investing in communication, investing even more in alpha, potentially starting a second alpha in Uptown. We'll have to see about that. Um, But we are called spiritually and practically and even financially to greater visibility, greater visibility in Chicago, greater visibility in Uptown, willingly out of obedience to Christ, getting on the radar rather than staying under it. A second way for us to become a spiritual beacon is by equipping you for ministry, by equipping you for ministry, for praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit so that you can discover your spiritual gifts, discover God's call on your life and experience the joy of actually beginning to operate in ministry at Emmanuel. We are called as a church to become a vibrant, to develop a vibrant dynamic leadership culture out of which um, come leaders, ministers, preachers, artists, and pastors. A spiritual beacon church does not depend on just a few key personalities, but is constantly at every level reproducing itself and equipping people for ministry and then sending them out, sending them out, sending them out. Many people will say, I first learned ministry at Emmanuel Anglican Church. And we're called to start taking steps in 2017 in that direction, which include, I believe, in the middle of the year, middle of 2017, hiring an assistant pastor who can better equip you, as well as investing in our current staff to give them training, investing in our volunteers to give them training. We experienced this with the lay preaching cohort this past summer. And what a joy it was to see People from our very own congregation get trained, raised up, given opportunity for ministry. Um, I believe there'll be shepherds, teachers, apostles, evangelists, leaders that get prayed for, encouraged, equipped, and sent out, or who stay. A final way for us to pursue the vision of becoming a spiritual beacon is through mature generosity. Mature generosity. Generosity to the nations, generosity to the Midwest, to Chicago, to Uptown, to church planting. As we pass our three-year anniversary as a church, um, we've turned a major corner. Next year, we're going to be completely self-sustaining. And then we're going to begin giving back to organizations that helped us get started. They gave to us. We're going to start giving to them next year. That's what a spiritual beacon church does. Um, We're called to be a financial fountainhead that resources mission through Emmanuel 
in Uptown, Chicago, the diocese, and the nations. Greater visibility, equipping for ministry, and, and mature generosity. That's the three major themes that we are, as a leadership, discern a way forward to become a spiritual beacon in Chicago. Read with me verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What would it look like for us to do this in a highly anxious age where there's so much turmoil, when there's a lot of confusion? It's like the, have you ever been driving and the windows get fogged up because of however the air is, is moving? And it's like, where do you go when the windows of our vision are, are foggy because of how emotional things are? We have some clarity. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Listen to this quote from John Stott written about 40 years ago about this verse. This call to assume our Christian responsibility is particularly relevant to young people who feel frustrated in the modern world. The problems of the human community are so great and they feel so small, so feeble, so ineffective Alienation is the word commonly used today to describe this frustration feeling. What message do we have then for such people who feel strangled by the system, crushed by the machine, overwhelmed by political, social, and economic forces which control them and over which they have no control? They feel themselves victims of a situation. They are powerless to change. What can they do? It is in the soil of this frustration that, amen, it is in the soil of this frustration that revolutionaries are being bred, dedicated to the violent overthrow of the system. It is from the very same soil, listen to me, it is from the very same soil that revolutions of Jesus can arise. Equally dedicated activists, even more so, but committed rather to spread his revolution of love, joy, and peace. And this peaceful revolution is more radical than any program of violence because its standards are incorruptible and because it changes people as well as structures. Thank you, John Stott, for those prophetic words written in the 70s. We're not helpless, after all. We're not powerless, after all. Amen. We have Jesus. We have his gospel. We have his Holy Spirit. We have his power. We have the salt, we have the light, and our dark world needs it. Let your light shine before Uptown. Let your light shine in Chicago, that all may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. Can you see the people of Chicago giving glory to the Father in heaven? Can you see people in Chicago giving glory to, Father, to the Father in heaven? Can you see them with renewed faces joining our spiritual family and becoming renewed and encouraged in the process? Can you hear their testimonies before they're baptized? Can you see them equipped for ministry? Can you see Emmanuel Anglican Church beaming out the light of Jesus Christ like the spiritual beacon that she is, shining light into dark places, putting hope in hearts that were despairing? Can you even see new spiritual beacons being lit all over our city because of how we 
shined with the light of Christ in 2017. Let's become salty, friends. Let's become a beacon of heaven's light. Let's become who we are for the sake of Chicago. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.